please rise for the reading of God's word. Our passage from today is from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, to chapter 2, verse 10. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, you may have noticed the, uh, the passage introdu introduced kind of midway through an event, and this is uh, part two of our series of Jonah, and uh, we will reconvene in two weeks. Uh, we obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we have our, our family picnic that we'll be at Edworthy Park next week, so I'm going to do a different, different sermon then, uh, and then we'll restart uh, Jonah chapter three in two weeks and then finish it off at the last Sunday of the month. Uh, but last Sunday, though, we started our series on Jonah, and, and I talked about the response that, that we often give in the face of disobedience. And we talk, I talked about the, the role that secrecy, silence, and the face of judgment, the fear of judgment plays. And I concluded with three ways to combat that with the rejection of the notion of perfectionism, replacing silence with vulnerability, and reaching out to one another. This morning, though, I want to spend some time exploring God's role and possible intent in keeping Jonah in the belly of a fish, where we see this really interesting and unique set of circumstances for Jonah that really sets his narrative apart from everyone else in Scripture. And as I was studying through Jonah, I was reminded of Psalm 23, verse 2. And in it, David writes this psalm, and he writes this, these verses, these words. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And it struck me that throughout Scripture, we see these moments where God has granted a season or a moment of rest for a people or an individual. And it seems as though rest is not a practice that is actually optional, but that there is actually intent in God granting rest to people. We see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, where it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep, fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. We see Elijah on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. The twelve disciples in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 32. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said, 
them, come away by yourself to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. And I think what we see here is rest seems to be a practice that God has placed a high value on throughout the Bible. It's interesting that we see passages like Psalm 23 that seem to indicate that God almost almost overrules our free will to ensure that we get the necessary rest we require. Not for his own benefit, but for ours. I remember as my kids were young, and we would try to get them to, we put them to bed or for their nap time, and they would, and they would just, they would fight it so desperately. And they were just restless, and they would fight, and they would flail, and they'd do whatever they can to try and prevent themselves from resting. And it was almost like they had this built-in mindset that rest was bad or that it was unnecessary. If you're a parent, you probably have a very good idea what I'm talking about. It's, they, just, they just opposed it. And at times it was to the point where, where, where I would have to literally hold them in the bed, wrestle them in the bed until they just accepted the fact that it was time to relax and it was time to rest. We needed to literally make them lie down. Now, our motives, my motives, were, pure, were absolutely pure in that moment. There was nothing cruel or torturing that we were doing here. My motives were strictly out of mercy and compassion for my kids because I could see something in them that their attitude and their behavior was being affected because of their lack of rest. And in that moment, they were unwilling to rest. So like the psalmist says, we made them lie down. Now, if we were to ask sociologists today, or those engaged in trying to understand culture, they, many would say that we live in, a, in one of the busiest times in human history, where, internet, where the internet just pounds us with relentless information. The expectations for young people at school is, an, is at an all-time high. The pace of work in the workplace is, is faster than ever before, where busyness is almost this, this badge of honor. And yet... And yet we see multiple scriptures that emphasize the importance of rest for people who lived thousands of years before you and I. Scripture seems to suggest that the need for rest isn't just a 21st century issue, that that it's actually a topic that humanity has struggled with right from the beginning. And this is where we find Jonah, who in the face of his own shame from his disobedience, in the midst of the consequences of his choices, is now inside the belly of a fish for three days, where he's forced to sit there and reflect on what led him to this situation, this moment. And I think this is one of those moments where where God has graciously reached out to Jonah, and in spite of of Jonah's disobedience, in spite of all the actions that Jonah has has chosen up to this moment, God looks past all of those things and sees a man who's whose actions are probably more reflective of someone who just needs to be present with his thoughts so that he can bring those things to God. Even in the midst of Jonah's outright defiance and opposition to God, God still shows compassion, mercy, and grace to Jonah and provides this sacred space inside the belly of a whale for them just to be present together. And God could see the restlessness in Jonah and saw the, that it wasn't good. 
This is an important moment in Jonah's narrative where we see three phases occur in Jonah within this chapter. And it's rooted in his rest. First of all, starting right at creation, we see that rest is actually a gift from God. Sometimes we think that rest is something that we earn. And we, we say things like, I tell this to my kids all the time, you can take a break after you've done your work. But if we look at the creation account, we discover that on the sixth day that Adam was created, and then the very next day, they rested. Adam hadn't done anything to that point, and yet God's first directive to humanity was to rest. What this tells us is that, is that we rest not from work, but in preparation for work. And we see, Jonah, we see in Jonah that the heavy lifting was about to happen for him. Chapter 3 is going to be pretty significant for him. But first, he needed to do some internal renovations in himself first. He needed to prepare himself for the work. And so the three primary phases that Jonah goes through are revelation, response, and recalibration. Revelation, response, and recalibration. Revelation, Jonah's first phase. It happens when Jonah finally has this moment of silence long enough to do an internal inventory of himself and, and, and assess the choices that he's made in light of who he knows God to be. And what he discovers very quickly is that there's some things in his life that he isn't liking. There's things in his life that are in opposition to God. And out of that com comes this psalm that, that of thanksgiving he, that makes up Jonah chapter 2. Where God reveals three things in Jonah that he needs to confess. First of all, his distress. Verses 1 and 2, we immediately point that out. Where we, verse 1 says, I called out of my distress to the Lord. Verse 2 it says, I cried for help. There's this deep, immediate need that Jonah realizes that his circumstances are not great. He's in the middle of the Mediterranean, recently thrown overboard off a boat, in the throes of disobedience, and now he's stuck inside of a fish. Nothing is appealing about his situation. And it's like adding insult to injury. He's embarrassed by his actions, he's ashamed of his choices, and now he stinks like a giant fish. Great, could this boat trip get anywhere? So I just wanted to go to Spain, hang out on the beaches, and now I'm here. Unfortunately for many of us, we go through life so quickly and busied and preoccupied that we forget that God wants us to look around and be present with him. And often what happens with me, if you're like me, if you're maybe behind on a deadline or there's 43 things to get done and someone adds one more thing, we just hunker down and put our nose to the grindstone and just keep trudging forward. And the concept of rest just seems so absurd. And this is our thinking. We think that, you know, I've, just, I've got important things to do, important deadlines required. I don't have time to rest. Or more accurately, I don't have time for you, Jesus. I mean, of course, we would never say that out loud. But our actions say it with our busyness. And so for Jonah... His circumstances were terrible, and he recognized it. So the first revelation is distress. The second is his disobedience. We talked quite a bit about that last week, but I'm going to mention a couple of things we, that, that we see in the first half of chapter, verse 4. 
That he's a, he, Jonah is now beginning to acknowledge the consequences of his disobedience, where we begin to see in chapter 1 where he was just shrouded in silence and secrecy and the fear of shame, and now he's beginning to, he's beginning to, to acknowledge that he has been disobedient. And he says, I've been expelled from your sight. And what we see from Jonah is an awareness of decisions that he has made that, wasn't, that weren't just displeasing to the sailors who threw him overboard, but he's beginning to see the larger picture of God at work. And he's, he's beginning to acknowledge how his disobedience is problematic for himself, for others, and how it begins to impact the larger will of God. Sometimes it's terrifying how rest can create space for the whisper of the Spirit to reveal areas of our lives that maybe we've glossed over or that we've just dismissed. And sometimes when we do that, we begin to keep ourselves busy and occupied to avoid having to deal with those, having to avoid dealing with that whisper in our lives. And as we do that, we create this larger chasm between us and God. So distress, disobedience, and the third revelation is distraction. Jonah says in verse 8, those who regard with vain idols forsake their faithfulness. And as Jonah is in his moment of silence, his, his, this three days of silence and, and being present with God, I think Jonah begins to realize that the idols that he had been holding on to were things like comfort, things like safety, self-preservation. And I've got to say, I don't think those are just Jonah issues. I don't have to peel back the layers too far in my own life to see my own idol of safety or self-preservation comfort. And in a lot of ways, Jonah's story isn't that much different than many of ours. Jonah, though, uses the word, strong word here is idols. Idols are the things that we prioritize over God in our lives. And in this, in this three-day moment, Jonah begins to reassess his life and see the things that, he, that have taken his eyes off of God. And now he answers phase two. Response. What are you going to do with this revelation? You see, at the crux of rest is an undeniable, unmistakable declaration of who God is. For Jonah, in the midst of his rest, he begins to see who he thought he was in contrast to who God is. And as he began to have that realization, he realized how great and powerful and gracious God really is. And it's in his rest that Jonah shifts from his circumstances how terrible they were and sees it and the choices that he's made. And he's, instead of looking at himself now, he begins to look over here and see how God is at work and who God is. The thing is with rest is that for so many of us, we say, well, I can't rest. I got things to do. Sometimes we say, I can't rest because I don't deserve it. I haven't earned my rest. Truthfully, rest is not a matter of earned or deserved or not deserved. As I mentioned earlier with Genesis chapter 2, immediately after the creation of man and Adam's told to rest, he hadn't done anything yet to deserve that rest. It's a gift. What if someone would, be volu would volunteer to come join me up on the stage here? Thanks, Micah. I want to give you a gift. Is that Okay. Here's 20 bucks. Now, okay, so here's, so $20, it's a gift. You can use it however you want. Now, will you, would you throw that, would you, would you rip it up? 
Would you throw it away? No. Why not? Okay, would, would, would you destroy it, Mr. Technical? No, I wouldn't. Why? Because it has value. Okay, yeah, thanks, thanks, Micah. That's all I wanted to ask you. That's yours. It's a, it's a gift. No, that's yours, Micah. Aren't you glad you volunteered? <laughs> If he threw that away, we would say, that's foolish. That's dumb. Why would you throw away a gift of $20? And yet, for so many of us, including myself, rest is one of those things that we say, I don't deserve that. I, don't, I haven't earned that. And we essentially, we throw that, that gift away. How much greater is the gift of rest from God than the $20 I just gave to Micah? So much more valuable. Or sometimes we think we can't rest because there's too much to do. And when we hold on to that mentality, we ultimately handcuff our own ability to trust in the faithfulness of God. Because we say, God, you sit back and I'll take care of it from here. I don't see scripture point, point, giving us the, allowing us to have that posture. Our posture as Christ followers is always to submit our will and our desire and leave the results up to the God. Rest helps us to submit ourselves to the results, recognizing that results might not look the way we think they should, but rest helps us to submit ourselves to God and his plans. Our identity isn't based on what we do, it's about who he is. And rest reminds us of that. We see throughout Scripture that it's not about what we can do, but it's all about who He is. And it's in Jesus that we find our identity, not in what we accomplish or in our title. It's Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Rest allows us to let go of the controls of the results and trust Jesus and watch Him work. And for each of us, like Jonah, our response in the face of revelation, so we've seen revelation, now our response is one of two things. We can either reject it and say, you know what, God, I'm still going to take over. Or we can recalibrate. We can reject the re revelation that we see in ourselves because maybe it's too scary. Maybe we're too ashamed. Maybe we don't know how to do it. We've never seen it modeled before for us. Maybe we just want to hold on to control and that's just the thing that we just, we can't let go of. And we can have any number of reasons that might cause us to reject God's revelation about who he is and who we are too. Or we can recalibrate. See, one of the things that happens over time if our, in our distress and our disobedience and our distractions, if those things go unchecked, if those things go unnoticed, is that slowly over time, it begins to erode our ability to handle crisis, handle disappointments, or any additional things. It's like trying to juggle three balls at a time. Maybe the one ball is marriage, and another ball is kids, another one is work, maybe another one is neighbors. And you're just trying to juggle those things, just trying to keep those things satisfied. And then adding a, a fifth ball, maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's friends. You're just trying to keep that one up in the air too. And then adding a sixth ball, maybe that one's church. And you're just trying to keep all those balls in the air, just trying to, you can do that for a while. Until a chainsaw is thrown into the juggling. Chainsaw like cancer, or burnout, or an unexpected death. 
the likelihood of coming out of that sort of juggling act is coming out, coming out of that unscathed is slim. Rest, though, helps us to look at the balls that we are juggling, put those down for a minute, and begin to assess which one of those balls maybe we need to pick back up. Maybe we just need to hold on to the chainsaw for a minute and just, and just deal with this and put those balls down for a moment. Rest begins to help us to prioritize. Here's how that works in my life. If I'm unrested, if I'm busied with one thing or another, and I'm juggling all the different balls, when a disruption occurs, my immediate response is, you got to be kidding me. And I get annoyed because, because rest has not given me the margin I need to absorb that disruption. And so I see the situation, I see the person, I see whatever it might be as an inconvenience or a disruption in some form or fashion. And that becomes a problem because people and relationships are always at the priority of our kingdom, of God's kingdom. They're always a priority over the checklist. Rest increases our level of, levels of empathy towards one another. And we begin to see evidence of that in chapters 3 and 4 in Jonah. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus models for us a call to love others, and we can see it regularly the times that Jesus intentionally builds rest into his schedule, into his rhythms of life. And it's in this modeling that I think we begin to, to, to see what intent rest has. Certainly there's a personal benefit, but it also helps us to bear fruit when we can identify the ways that God has been at work in our lives. It allows us to be able to do some our own personal reflection. And as we recalibrate, and we begin to adjust the trajectory of our lives, much like Jonah does in, in, in chapter 2. I think three things occur. He rejoices, he repents, and he's restored. He rejoices, repents, and is restored. In verse 9, Jonah says his sacrifice to God will be the voice of thanksgiving. Rejoicing is, is an acknowledgement that God has been at work in our lives. Because if you're like me, Sometimes we just are too occupied with one thing or another to really take the time to, to remind us who God is and how he is at work. And the reality is, is that often we can look at our circumstances just like Jonah and, and question maybe where God is in the midst of that. Rest helps us to remind ourselves that my rejoicing, my gratitude, my thanksgiving are not rooted in whether things are going the way that I think they should but it's entirely rooted in who God is. Let me say that again. My rejoicing, my gratitude, my thanksgiving is not rooted in whether things are going the way that I think they should, but it's entirely rooted in who God is. And when I can do that, it helps me to submit myself to who God is because I know that whatever circumstance I am faced with, is the result of the characteristics of God that I just rejoiced in. That whatever circumstances I am faced with, whatever circumstances you are faced with, is the result of the characteristics of God that you just rejoiced in. Rejoicing reminds us that He is God and we are not. And as we began to read and watch Jonah's narrative unfold, we have seen the fruit of his disobedience in chapter 1, but now we begin to see his response, which is repentance. We see in verse 4, as I mentioned earlier, in the first half where Jonah begins to point out, he begins to identify his disobedience. 
But it is, it is immediately followed, not with silence, not with shame, not with secrecy. It is immediately followed with his repentance. The last half of chapter 4 says this, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Where something in Jonah has shifted where hours earlier he was living a life of defiance and shame in isolation, silence, and the fear of judgment. But now he has turned his attention back towards God. Repentance just simply means changing your mind. We could use it appropriately to say something like, I was going to McDonald's for lunch, but I repented and went to Subway instead. Christians have spiritualized the word where now, whenever it's used in typical use, it's usually spiritualized. Repentance, though, is just changing our mind from one direction to another. And what we see from Jonah, repentance from disobedience and silence and secrecy and the fear of judgment. And instead, repenting or changing his mind towards what God wants. And this is where the role of rest is so important. Because when it comes to repentance... Rest helps us to recalibrate ourselves onto what is the, the necessary changes that we need to adjust to. For some, for repentance, it may just be like a one-degree shift. For others, like Jonah, it might be more of a 180-degree shift where we just need to go a completely different direction. Repentance, though, isn't just a, a mindset. It is, a, it is something, it, it changes the trajectory of how we live. It's a shift in our thinking, not just a shift in our thinking, but a shift in our living. Three years ago, while I was on sabbatical, I had this realization that the emotional capacity that I was exerting in ministry wasn't sustainable, and something needed to change. And so I needed to recalibrate, and I needed to repent. I needed to repent towards what I believed would strengthen me spiritually and emotionally, and where the Spirit was leading. Lastly, the last R of recalibration is restoration. Jonah writes at the end of verse 6, You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah uses some interesting language here in verses 2, 5, and 6 to describe the despair and hopelessness that he was facing. Verse 2, he says that he was in the depths of Sheol, which is a Hebrew euphemism that's often used a few different ways in the Old Testament, but essentially means grave or more specifically means death. Verse 5, he describes his circumstances as being in the deep, this isn't just a physical location for Jonah. But he's, he, again, it's a euphemism to, to describe a watery grave. Verse 6 says he's in the pit. The Hebrew word for that is shahat, which means the pit of hell. Jonah, has, Jonah is coming from this deep, dark, spiritual this deep, dark spiritual place in chapter 1 where he has completely abandoned the idea of following God. He's completely abandoned the idea of obeying God. He has this deep fear of judgment about what anyone will think about him. And something shifts into chapter 2 where he has this incredibly redemptive moment in his life where God has held him down, held him in the fish, and forced him to lie down and rest from his certain death, physically and spiritually. And he provided space for Jonah to restore his purpose and identity rooted in God. Where Jonah's identity in chapter 1, if we, were to, if, if, we just, if we just read this chapter 1 in a bubble, we would say Jonah is disobedient, that he's defiant, that he's selfish. 
And then if we read chapter 2, we would see this transformation occurring where now he's resting into this, this worshiper, this, this new man with renewed purpose. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And I think as we read these two, first two chapters, we witness this beautiful, renewing experience that transformed Jonah in a miraculous way. There's something that we, this is something that we all need in our lives, even if it's in a minor degree. That if we build the rhythms of rest in our lives, and I don't think it matters what our occupation is, what our culture is, what generation you're from, what gender you are. If you are a human, you are called to rest. We are called to rest. There's a richness in this gift, far more valuable than $20. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So four ways that we can rest. Pour over God's word. Read the Bible not as a checklist. You know, I did my, my Bible study for the day, check, done, move on to the next thing. But we read it, we pour over it as a way to hear from Jesus to be present with him, that we create space for him to reveal himself in our lives through his written word, and we begin to allow it to transform us the way that it transformed Jonah in those, in those three days. Two, we pray. We pray privately or with other people. There is something rich that happens when we unite our hearts with others, when we bring the needs of others in prayer. We experienced that this morning. We experienced it at the prayer night a couple, couple weeks ago. I believe we'll experience it at the prayer walk in a couple of weeks from now. But we use prayer to keep short accounts and recalibrate ourselves as needed. Maybe the shifts, the changes won't be as drastic if we, if we develop a healthy rhythm of prayer. Three, practice Sabbath. Sabbath is not just an old covenant teaching. It is a call and, dis and discipline that benefits us in the new covenant as well. And we practice it not for religious purposes, but for relational purposes. We practice Sabbath to strengthen our relationship with Jesus and to build space for the Spirit to breathe life into us. Four, play with people. Play with people. There is value and restfulness when we can enjoy time together. Even as an introvert, I need to tell myself that. It deepens relationships and and, and, there's, it, and there is value in being together with people because laughter and sharing life together is a way that we reflect kingdom values together. Pour over God's word. Pray. Practice Sabbath. Play with people. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. We'll close in our one last song.